It is the Thanksgiving edition of the PFF forecast. It is November 25th. We are going to talk to Brett Coleman. It is a great conversation. He joins us for an hour and it felt like 15 minutes. We're going to do a little uh, week 12 preview. We're going to try and pick a lock of the week that will win, but <laughs> you may choose to, to fade it. And I totally understand. That being said, let's rock. Boom. Alrighty. Um, I'm a little crestfallen, not going to lie. What do you mean? I was really looking forward to Steelers, Ravens, Thanksgiving night. Well, and now your work doesn't, as people know, you do a, a great deal. In, in addition to the number of things you do for PFF, one of the things you do is you work on Sunday Night Football. I was more upset that your work would have gone by the wayside. Well, right. And, and they, that game would have been go gone to a different network. It's awkward now. What, is this the first time Al's done? So it's still going to be nationally televised because it's the only game on NBC. So his streak of that is alive. When's the last time he did a game? Like, I haven't been alive. When he's, when he's he done last a Sunday done a, game? A Sunday afternoon game. I do not know. And it's going to be super interesting. I, people were like, oh, you know, are you... Uh, you know, happy that you don't have to work Thanksgiving night. And I was like, are you high? Yeah, it's just twice uh, as much work on I, Sunday. It just means Sunday's going to be awful. Plus, there's nothing. I really enjoy the idea of you get to watch the football games and you eat and then you, you get to be a part of what everyone else is watching. Mm -hmm. Like the high for that is awesome. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. The game is deserves that night time environment, which is kind of what sucks. I was hoping they would maybe put it on Monday, but um, they're going to have Chris and Al on the 1 p.m. game because they've already prepped for that game. And NBC was planning to have Tariko Dungy uh, on the night game uh, in Green Bay for Green Bay, Chicago, and that's going to remain. And they're going to have to split the production crews. So Fred, what I think is most interesting is Fred Gadelli, the executive producer we've had on the podcast a couple of times is going to green bay is that Tariko and who dungy dungy and and fred and al are like they have not not worked together like that is the duo you know and um and when al went to nbc fred went with him and that's how it rolls and yeah. there's a reason because he's incredible but let's start with that um thursday slate the two games that we have there and uh and talk about him the first game was one that we really liked on sunday night houston favored by two and a half it's now houston favored by three does houston favored by an extra half point scare you away from betting against the matt patricia dumpster fire and one li less ligament uh matt stafford uh i look <laughs> the the casino is like down the street. I, I I was thinking about going after the podcast and betting Houston. I mean, I I've said this. I was on like seven shows yesterday, and I feel like every single one they said, "What's your favorite bet of the week?" I go, "My favorite bet of the week is betting against Matt Patricia with three days to prepare." <laughs> okay, well, there's two ways to look at it. One is more days to prepare 
with someone that can't prepare, you know, like it doesn't yeah, matter. Maybe, maybe. They're the same. I just, I look at this game and the Detroit Lions are getting, are, are just, have got to be feeling as though we can end it with this one. <laughs> you know, you know, you've got like someone and you're, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, but you like can feel when their will is about to break and you go, I just need one more. I just need one more. And I feel like Detroit senses that if they just fall apart in this game, that could be it. The second thing, and maybe the most important thing, is that Deshaun Watson is balling out. I mean, the guy is, it's him and it's Mahomes in terms of who is playing best this season. Rodgers up there as well. But like Wilson, I think, has petered off a little bit. But they are in a different tier. And Matt Stafford as fine as he has been is nowhere near that tier it's just a dramatic well and they don't difference. have Galladay they don't have Amendola um, they're out without Kuda, which might actually be good for them I mean he's been <laughs> dreadful this year but um, Houston relatively healthy COVID free since 93 it looks like um, and, and think oh, about Cobb's out toe injury that's here, not a great one but you know here's something that's interesting too is the Texans are fresh off destroying Bill Belichick's defense Matt Patricia's defense is just Bill Belichick's defense, but really, really bad. Yeah, but worse, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, no Trey Flowers either. He's been on IR for a while. Um, DeAndre Swift, questionable with a cushion. If, look, if they go— The Detroit De- Lions haven't generated a pass rush since, since Jim Nam. Caldwell was there. <laughs> since Nam. <Yeah. laughs> since uh, B-Rabbit rode the streets. Can we, every single week we have to remind people that Jim Caldwell was a winning coach in Detroit. Could they hire him back? <laughs> they should hire him okay, back. Okay, we, we really like the Texans. I don't think that's surprising. I really like the Texans as well. Let's just talk about Washington, Dallas, because— This is for all the Tocitos in the NFC East, I think. We talk, to, we talk later with Brett about how much we hate— The Eagles. The Eagles. Eagles might win one more game the rest of the year. Dallas favored by three, total 46. Looking at this one, I was trying to make a case for the over in this game. And then I got a little worried. And here's why I got worried, Eric. Andrew Dalton is playing in a game when there are no other games being played at the same time. Are we extending that to that part of the... That's it. You're on national TV. National TV, so it's not prime time. I would consider this, especially because now it's the latest game of the day, on Thanksgiving, this is prime time. Yeah. Okay. McLaurin's questionable with an ankle. I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming he plays, but that's not helpful either. No. I can't get behind the over here. The, if you had to bet one side of this. I'd bet football team plus three, but I, I'm not, I don't feel good about it. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to do some prop streams tomorrow, so you want to check those out. I'm excited to look at some of the props here. I wonder with McLaurin... McLaurin's ankle. I think some of them does. are already up on PFF.com. Let me make sure. McLaurin, five and a half catches and 74 and a half yards. Hmm. I, might, I might do some reading on what his ankle injury is yeah, like. Yeah. I would see. assume that those are... Uh, look, we're one of the PFF props that we, we bet early in the season, or offseason, was McLaurin over 900 receiving yards. Um, no, 999. I believe he is like basically a, a good game away from yeah. that. So um, he's if he has 125 yards in this game, he's gonna uh, he's gonna get that the rest of the season. I think. Knock on wood. Um, okay, that's the Thanksgiving slate, man. It is 
Is there there's college football on that night, right? One of the games got canceled. So oh, Colorado <laughs> State, Colorado State versus Air Force uh, went kaput. Um, okay, you know what I'm gonna do? You know what I'm gonna do on Thanksgiving night? You know what movie I'm gonna put on? Yeah, Wedding Crashers. Of course. Put I was gonna do uh, Big Short. That's a good one too. Yeah. We should do a pod on Wedding Crashers because both of us have watched that twenty times. Something for the off season. We'll rewatch it. We'll go over our favorite scenes. We'll talk about it. We'll rank the characters. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think I'm not trying to be like Mr. Like Doomsday Guy, but there's probably going to be a few months where things are things are a little slow after, after the Super Bowl. You stop. And I think I think we have to do some sort of fun thing like that. That'll be a lot of fun. We got to watch Moneyball or something too. That'll be good. Big so, short, so the only game, short be a good one. the only game, the only college football game on Thursday is the New Mexico Lobos at the Utah State Aggies. Wedding crap. It's wedding <laughs> crashers for me. Okay, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Pittsburgh, a four-point favorite. I'm going to try and make the case for the Baltimore Ravens, and the way that I will make that case is we talked about this with Brett a little bit. As much as Lamar Jackson is not playing well. Ben Roethlisberger is, I think, being dramatically overrated. I heard, I think it was Stephen A. Smith, say that they, he thought he was the, one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL, which just doesn't make any sense to me. He actually has graded worse than Lamar Jackson has this year. Um, and I, I know that the Baltimore Ravens are down and downtrodden, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are tweeting out, you know, this is trash, this is garbage, all this stuff. I just, I just got to think that there is a little How bit of How much different a, are the Ravens team than the team that completely outplayed them the first time? That's the point. I mean, they, they already were a team that marched up and down the field against the Steelers. And it was just some turnover luck that, that got in their way. Four points feels like a solid point too many for me. Um, so I'd like to put the Ravens in the in the running. Okay. Okay. Take I've I've picked the first three games, so you can take you can lead. All right. Uh, okay. I also kind of like Baltimore in the running line. Just saying. This I'll is one that I'm this is one that I'm thinking about. I've noticed the number has gone down a half a point because of the DeForest Buckner news. Tennessee at Indianapolis. What do you like more? Do you like, and I wrote this up actually, no, I, I almost wrote this up and then I, and then I actually didn't. Um, <clears throat> one, one of the futures I wanted to write up was Tennessee plus 125 to win the AFC South. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't because I realized that they're 140 in this game against Indianapolis. And if they win this game against Indianapolis, mm -hmm. they're basically going to win the AFC South, more or less. Um, I like Tennessee in this game. I think the Colts are going to be a little bit overvalued after a couple of really good performances in a row, a couple of really good results in a row, especially. I like the Colts a lot as a team. Um, I I messaged somebody I know on the team. I said, you guys push football forward a little bit today, you know, with the fourth down. You're, you're humble brags today on point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I think Tennessee is more explosive. And I think that they do some things that can really – uh, stress defense is even as good as Indianapolis. Um, there were fluky things that happened in both directions in that Thursday night game. I don't think it's as big as a 17-point spread that ended up being. So go ahead and give me uh, Tennessee here. I would like to add some uh, points to that. The team that is by far leading the league in EPA per play on early downs and EPA per play on passing uh, downs, the first and second down, 
is the Tennessee Titans. Tannehill's first in the NFL in positively graded passing. And you saw that in the Colts game, that they ended up losing. But I think they learned from that. They marched up and down the field throwing the ball in that game. And then, I don't know what happened, but they just decided to run the ball into the ground, and it did not work very well. Secondarily, the Colts' win against the Packers, as you predicted, was largely a function of the uh, malleability of the Packers. And, you know, a fluky thing here, a fluky thing there, a fumble here, a fumble there. Lack of toughness. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I do believe that the Colts are a little overvalued here. Three points indoors against the mo more explosive offense give me the Tennessee Titans. I think 140 is a solid a solid little price. Yeah, there. it was 160 the other night, you know, last night. So obviously there are some people who are responding to the Buckner news, which I don't think a defensive tackle is worth that much, but I do think that he is part of the heart and soul of that team. Here's another one, and I, and this was one I talked about on Veasan last night. How many can we put a total on Zach? Can you get a counter on how many times Eric mentions things that he's done either on radio or TV or this is kind of texting old. teams or whatever? I like San Francisco plus six. I, I even like San Francisco plus six and a half. Oh, it's six and a half now. Yeah, people agree with me and my San Francisco. It was take. seven and a half. Yeah, it was seven yesterday when I when I said it was one of my favorite Man. bets. They listen to you. You're moving markets, moving mountains and markets. Power of prayer. That, but God. <laughs> okay, but is this? The Rams' defense is very well equipped to beat a modern offense. The the San Francisco 49ers are not a modern offense. They are a they are a sideline to sideline offense. They aren't a beat you one on one offense. God, I wish it was still seven and a half. Of course, but because there's so many things about this spot that are great, right? The Los Angeles Rams are at the top of the market. They're also I mean, off of six days rest instead of or five days rest instead of six. Niners, off Niners of are off a of bye. They get Richard Sherman back. Um, they will have, I believe, Ayuk is back, right? Mm -hmm. That is my understanding. Um, so there are some reasons. Quan uh, Williams will be playing. For the seasons. God, but the six and I mean, I don't think they're lock of the week material, but they're certainly a bet. I, 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 think it's, I mean, I think we should consider it. I think we should consider it. Um, they're also plus two fifty. Can, can we also can we pick one, another one? Uh, wait, hold on, hold on. I want to check in on how you're feeling about your two to one steak dinner bet on the Cincinnati Bungholes, who are now six point underdogs. Plus two twenty five. Yeah, now so the, plus you got you got the cleave. You can eat that cleave <laughs> as a topping on I, your steak. I will have the filet mignon, with, medium rare. Do you want any toppings? With, with yes. twenty five cents on top. The closing line value, please. <laughs> um, if they start Brandon <laughs> Allen, I feel really good about the bet. If they what? Sorry, what? They're gonna start Brandon Allen at some. You feel, I I know that, but that makes you feel good about it. Brandon Allen is a legit NFL quarterback. Stop. Ryan Finley is a disaster. Relative to Ryan Finley, Brandon Allen is a legit NFL quarterback. Did he not win games last year? This is an unbelievable statement. He, Brandon Allen for the Denver Broncos last year covered the spread against Cleveland. He covered the spread against Minnesota on the road. Is he not? This isn't. Ryan Finley's a nightmare. I agree. But if Brandon Allen starts, it's. Dude, the Giants suck.
Come on. The Giants are the best team in the NFC East with the best quarterback in the NFC East and a coach. Wait, I just said one thing. You said toughness. a bunch of things that mean nothing to what I just said. <laughs> I don't care about Brandon Allen or Ryan Finley. They're the same thing. They're both bad. Anyways, I have the Cleve. One one of these teams don't. is bad, and the other team thinks it's an optimal strategy to end every drive with a kick. Yes, a PAT. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, speaking of the other New York team, do you think that Freed from the shackles of Manesh Mata... Is it the, Mata or Meta? Meta. Meta world the, peace. The New York Jets, for the third time or fourth time in five weeks, will cover the number at home against the Dolphins? They've covered the spread. They've been a covering I machine. I the Sharps. I know. And uh, is, We talked about them as a great bet on the pregame show yeah. last week. And is they came Darnold through. back? I, I still have Flacco. I think Flacco's better than Darnold right now with that offense. I agree. Plus, Francis Gore is out there. Seven? Just, seven is a nice number. I, here, here's my question, because here's what, I, here's what I'll say. There's a number of great teaser opportunities this week. And if you don't like the Jets plus the seven, you should tease Miami down to one and pair that with a couple other teasers that have really good potential. I'm sorry. I, I have the second. Uh, leg of your teaser Saints minus zero no but that's one that I do I do like uh, Taysom Hill though man I can't, it, do, I can't it worries me it worries me that said Sean Payton I think you've got to respect Sean Payton here you didn't want to respect him earlier you got to respect him now I I claim I know your second leg your second leg is 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 the Dungy nope is the Dungy uh, Tarico game no nope. it is the New England oh plus Patriots eight. Plus eight and a half against the Arizona Cardinals at home. Kyler without Murray, Kyler Murray, possibly, or well, without with Kyler Murray's going to play, Murray. but his shoulder might be banged up. I look, Kyler Murray's been fantastic, but the New England Patriots not being favored at home with Cam Newton being fully functional against a Cardinals team that's good. Yeah, but like, can I can great. I propose a second leg that's even better? Okay. It looks like we're going teaser. Here, Cleveland minus minus point five against Mike Lennon and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dude, but Mike Lennon's the better quarterback, getting points. Oh, stop! Jesus, that's a great one though. <laughs> He's got a bigger neck, bigger neck, getting points for sure. You know, I, I can see it now. You know no. what it is? Baker Mayfield. They're down three. Throws a pick six. They cut immediately to Baker Mayfield's book club commercial. Who that's, how, that's how it ends. You can even put the Giants in a teaser if you want to put your money where your mouth is here. We could. Giants. I mean, I Giants, don't know if you'd Browns, be willing to do that. Two-team teaser. I think if you're going to do a teaser, you have to have the Patriots plus eight and a half in that teaser. I don't... I don't know because, well... We already have the Patriots as one of our bets. That's why I kind of want to be to be untangled with that. I don't know, man. There's just – I just think it's ridiculous that um, that the Patriots are, are underdogs. I, I agree. That's why That's I, just... you take them two and a half like we did early in the week. Okay. What if, what if you go – So let's talk about a few, a few more of these games. So we talked about the Jets. The Saints uh, minus six is a little terrifying in Denver. That being said, man, I mean, Drew Locke, does he have any shot at being competitive with a – a really good team. Well, they, they, he 
he played passable football against the passable football isn't keeping you in a game with the New Orleans Saints. Drew Locke's PFF grade is 57. His pass rating and clean is 88.4. Yeah. That's terrible. I just hate going – I just hate being the, the, the person who's like, Taysom's garbage, and then coming back and overreacting to probably two points of line value, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Remember I said on Sunday that um, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers cross three, I would be intrigued. I am intrigued. I think there's value on Chiefs even in this one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I have a hard time betting against Patrick Mahomes, and the way that the Bucks looked scares me. But also, that's when you want to—that's when you want to yeah. grab them. They're at the bottom. I, the of the idea game. that Sean Murphy bunting is going to cover like Tyreek or Travis Kelsey, like who's going to cover tra- Travis Kelsey? God, God. <laughs> I got look. I can't argue. Your with answer? That. Yeah. Sorry. Please. I can't argue with that. Uh, um, Marpet questionable still jones you know jones and and frank clark mm-hmm. although frank clark's been a disappointment this year um okay okay all right okay can you go i mean look can you get on board with the chicago bears as an eight and a half point underdog no. against the green bay packers is mitch starting is it mitch they i d- d- uh, did they name one yet no I don't think so. I'm just wondering if you had any inside information. I don't have any inside information. I've been trying to get some this whole week. The most inside information I have is who's producing the game, unfortunately. The, uh, I mean, look, if they're going to unleash the Fury, Mitch, then maybe. I, I definitely feel better about Mitch covering eight and a half points than, than I do Nick Foles. Yeah, because Nick Foles is. I mean, there's a ch- I mean, Nick Foles is a candidate to get shut out every game. Right. That's, that's the, the nature of the beast. Packers okay. are soft, though. I don't okay. think they're soft in a game like this, though, because the Bears are also soft on offense. I, that is that is fair. Okay, here is how I see it. The Texans, minus three, is a possibility. The, um, I guess we don't want to take a Titans money line. Um, I, like the, I like the Niners a little bit. I like the Jets a little bit. Um, but I'm intrigued by a little teaser action here i mean if you want to tease against the problem is is like part of me thinks okay if you tease against like new starting quarterbacks giants browns basically a money line parlay there right between those two both road teams like i don't think i don't think jacksonville stopping cleveland yeah so i so maybe cleveland's one leg God damn it. And then I'm you so go sick. I'm sick thinking about that. And then I really do question if the Dolphins will lose to the Jets outright. Is Joe Flacco the better quarterback getting seven points in that game? No. Two is better than Flacco. Come on. <laughs> Totals on the game are small, so you have less variance, relatively speaking. Yeah. I mean the total on, on New York Cincinnati is forty three. Yeah. That is not a the lot. The Giants, though, are bad. I'm sorry. The Dolphins and the Browns are like both not good, but like also not like a, dis- a disaster, a disumpster fire. <laughs> a disumpster fire. I guess your desire not to take the Patriots is is uh, is understandable. Well, and the Cardinals are like 
could be explosive. I could see that, and I don't want to like lose two bats based upon one. Total's a little higher. Okay. I'll let you. <sighs> I'll let you lead me to the promised land here. Dolphins minus one. Bang. Uh, Browns minus point five. And then I'll be winning two stakes or one more stake, thanks to the New York Giants. My Giants. Daniel Jones, my guy. I'll be I'll be the one handing out flyers for you to sign your. I was apology. I was the Daniel Jones was be- better than Carson Wentz before everybody else was. I think we were both on that. Yeah, I got roasted for it. You've taken <laughs> look your your entire Twitter existence is a giant roasting. <laughs> it's chestnuts on an open fire. I mean, you you look you you. Uh... Okay, let's hope we get off the schneid here. Here's the good thing. I actually think there is a good bit of value on the board this week. Yeah. Greenland was up quite a bit last week, yeah, which is good. Basically, Greenland looked at everything and said, we're going to lose one game, and that's going to be what Eric and George give out to every, <laughs> everybody. Oh, actually, we'll lose two, the second one being the other game they gave out to everybody else. So um, the, the math hates us. That's okay. There's a lot of value there. Go to pff.com. Check it out yourself. Go to Sean Watson. Uh, let's get to Brett. Brett Coleman, uh, YouTube video wizard, um, drink enthusiast. Is enthusiast the right word? Mm-hmm. He's an, I Aficionado. Would, let's go with that. Mixologist. Okay. Here he is. Here's Brett. Returning, making a glorious return in large part because I remember when we first had Brett on and uh, we were both remote, middle of the pandemic, and he is in California. And so it was a special type of jealousy that I had for him being able to enjoy the uh, the California and now you're getting to enjoy the California winter so I guess this is not any better but Brett I'm ecstatic that you're joining us again how are you doing buddy I'm doing wonderful thanks for having me on again I want to start with what you're working on right now because it's pretty topical everyone wants to bag on the NFC East and there are some apologists here and there but by and large the Carson Wentz thing, like it's just, it's not working. You're kind of yeah. going through him right now. If you were to, if you were to create a blame pie, and you were to serve, so let's say, put a little pumpkin, a little pecan pie. I'm, I'm partial to pecan. How big is the slice that you're serving Carson Wentz? Oh man, uh, probably like sixty. Five to seventy percent, and I, I know there's a lot of people that would say, "Well, okay, the team around him isn't very good." That's correct, but the thing is, Carson is exacerbating the problems that bad teams have by making bad decisions. You know, a lot of his turnovers are just awful, awful decisions. Whether it's slow processing or trying to play hero ball because he knows his team is not very good. Like, I get it. Alshon should have jumped at the right time to avoid that last pick in the fourth quarter last week. And, um, you know, there was some a couple deflection picks and his pass protection is not very good. The number one job of a quarterback is to elevate bad players above what they normally would be. And he's not elevating the team. So I would say it's 60 to 70 percent because he's making everything worse with bad decisions. And the mechanics are also kind of sloppy. Like he's kind of reverting back to what he was at North Dakota State with the overstriding and his front toe is all over the place. He pigeon toes like crazy. Like I get it, Doug Peterson's not very good right now. Uh, And I know a lot of Eagles fans wish they had Frank Reich instead. I get it. But 
Like Deshaun Watson has a pretty bad team around him too, and he's playing better than he ever has before. It's the job of a quarterback to elevate a bad team. He's not doing it. Yeah, I mean, the the really interesting thing you're saying is just bad decisions, and it, it manifests itself in our data. I mean, when you look at no quarterback in the league with more than like 300 dropbacks has a higher percentage of negatively graded plays. And those are just plays where you're not accurate enough to give your team a chance, right? And like that's, I mean, that's just, you, you can't, you can't scheme your way out of that. You can't supporting cast your way out of that. And what, another interesting data point for him is for every air yard, his team is only gaining about 0.7 actual yards, meaning that like wow. he's not – I think of like some of these guys that are really good. So take Aaron Rodgers is about 1.06. Deshaun Watson is about 1.03. Wilson 1.03. Mahomes 1.04. Those – the guys that do that are anticipating enough to get yards after the – even on They're the shorter throws, too, yeah. they get yards after the catch. On the deeper throws, obviously it's harder to get yards after the catch but they're putting those on the money. And, you know, Wentz, even when he's throwing com you know, completed passes, they're not accurate enough for his team to turn those things into all that many yards. And I don't know, like, I, are we starting to think that 2017 was more the aberration than, than the, the norm for him? Well, here's the interesting thing that I was going to bring up is, because Brett, you were mentioning the turnovers, and that's the easy thing to go to. You know, he has the most interceptions. He has by far the most turnover-worthy turnover plays. plays. But statistically, you know, those things fluctuate from season to season. What is really concerning is that perhaps the most stable trait for quarterbacks is the rate at which they make negatively graded plays. Right? Like, are you accurate or not? You mentioned all of the different things he's doing mechanically that are resulting in poor throws. Like, that is something that is indicative of what a quarterback's going to do going forward. So you can make a ton of excuses, which are like, okay, everyone around him sucks. And it's like, yeah, okay, but still, he's not doing things that you'd expect a quarterback to do. So is there any excuse worth making for him? Or is it simply like, you continue to play this way, it doesn't matter how good people are around you? I think when you look at 2017 versus 2020, because you brought up 2017, it was that an aberration. I think... You look at how that Eagles team played. A lot of RPOs, so it's a lot of if-then statements for a quarterback. He's not; It's not necessarily a full-field read, so they were kind of protecting him, protecting a young quarterback in that way. When they did go deep, it was like, hey, we're, we're doing four verts against single high. Just read where the safety's going and take your shot. And he was accurate and had a strong arm that year, paid off. Like They, they had speed on the outside. They had... Uh, two tight ends that could work the middle. That was right in the middle of Zach Ertz's prime when he was damn near uncoverable. Uh, you still had Darren Sproles there. Like You had man beaters in running backs and tight ends. You had uh, a, a good post-up guy on Alshon. Like, when you look at his splits against two-man this year, he's in the mid-20s in yards per attempt, accuracy, like on target. Like I'm sure you guys also had that kind of data too. Like, Man coverage with split safeties, he's been awful this year because nobody's getting open. The one thing they have is speed with like Rager and Hightower and all those kind of guys. But again, if you're playing two high safeties and you're taking away the go ball down the boundary and your tight ends are not being able to shake coverage, uh, tight coverage from linebackers over the middle, which is like the best way to beat two man, you got nothing. And not to mention his pass protection is pretty bad too. So they're not really doing anything schematically to help him out. 
whether or not they trust him to read anything else, I'm not quite sure. Where back in 2017, they did have just the talent to pay that kind of stuff off. Uh, and again, I think because he knows he doesn't have a whole lot around him, he's trying to play hero ball. Like there's a sequence in uh, the Dallas game, first quarter, uh, he took a sack on first down. So it's second and 19. And for whatever reason, Doug Peterson calls like max protect a, a deep shot. Again, on second and 19. It's like you think, do you honestly think the defense thinks you're going to run on second and 19? So you're only releasing two receivers down the field. Obviously, nobody's open because they're not taking that fake. So then he has to run. Again, he's trying to play hero ball. There's no receivers on that side of the field. He holds it, holds it, holds it, and gets sack fumbled. Like, that is the Eagles offense this year. It's weird, inexplicable play calls. It's nobody being able to get open. It's bad pass protection. And it's Carson trying to play hero ball and rescue a roster rather than just playing quarterback. And it's none of it works. Absolutely none of it. What are you doing then? So so let's go. Let's put ourselves in Howie Roseman's shoes. You know, you know my answer. I gave it last week. Yeah, and I'm curious what, what Brett's is. So you have control of the Eagles. What's, what's the play? Jalen Hurts. See what you got. This week. See, See what, what you got. got. Uh, they have so much invested in Wentz that I know they're going to start him because it's Seattle and... I think if you don't play well against the Seattle defense, you really are done because they're awful. Uh, Personally, if it was me, I would give Jalen Hurts his first start against the Seahawks because it's Seattle. I want him to have as easy a time as humanly possible. They're not going to do it, but I would do it because you got to see what you have. You have to see what you have in Jalen Hurts so that you can properly plan for the upcoming offseason. If you don't win the division... Because, again, anybody in this division can win it. If you don't win the division, you're going to have a top 10 pick in a loaded quarterback class. You need to see what you have in Jalen Hurts so you can plan. So let's go back to the draft, okay? They take Jalen Hurts in the second round. Philadelphia fans are, shockingly, carrying pitchforks and lighting torches and going shirtless through the streets, which is just Tuesday in in Philadelphia. (laughs) But, you know, I digress. Great city. Everyone is very mad, okay? Do we think that there's a chance that Howie Roseman, the Eagles, said, look, 2017 was an aberration. We have not seen progression. We don't feel like he is going to elevate us above our scheme, whatever that scheme may be. And while we don't want to take, we don't want to be the Packers and take someone in the first round, we do want to take someone that, look, if it really goes south, we at least get a look at somebody. Because... You know, and you did this analysis, Eric, and I thought it was really interesting. Jalen Hurts, there were some limitations there, but one of the guys that's playing better football than basically everyone except maybe Patrick Mahomes in the NFL, Deshaun Watson, had some limitations as well that resembled what Jalen Hurts did. People said a lot of the same things about Hurts that they said about Watson. Um, we don't think about it now because he's explosive as hell, but people had really issues with his arm strength, they had issues with his anticipation. Um, they, called a lot of the, they called him a winner. A lot they of said su- he had grit, right? A lot toughness. of the superlatives about about both were similar. I mean, uh, Hertz had to deal with adversity. Now his adversity was being benched for a guy who ended up being a, a top ten pick in the same draft as him. Watson had an ACL in Clemson. He also like they they played against top competition. Now again, I'm not saying Hertz is Watson, but I'm saying that a lot of the same things that were said. You look and you parse out that data that the text analytics. A lot of the same things are said. Now, here's a question 
because I think they they think the exact same things that you're saying, George, but they're just playing Wentz sort of to because they know that's the path to a higher draft pick and all that. Like they already believe he's you think you think they're tanking and they're going I'm not saying tanking. I'm just saying they don't think that the benefits of winning the NFC East are all with, that big. with Jalen Hurts. Yeah. What are the benefits of winning the NFC East? Uh, well I look, you get a playoff game when there's no fans at home. I mean you're gonna so, get so none. So none. Very I mean, other than bonuses for the staff yeah, and stuff. Right. I mean, the players are motivated. I mean, Brett, what do you think about that? So you say you put Jalen Hurts in. Okay. So you you answered that question. I assume from both a we want to uh, give ourselves the best chance to win now, but also to see what we have in the future. Like, what is is there enough there with Jalen Hurts that you would be interested, or do they have such a bad scheme and so few weapons that it's probably still going to be ugly anyways? So there's three things that I know to be true. Number one, when you look at on-target accuracy percentage in college football, Jalen Hurts was in the top three among quarterbacks in each of the last two seasons. Uh, He was narrowly beat out by Joe Burrow this past year, and he beat out Tua, and then he beat out Tua the year before that as well. Even as a backup uh, to Tua, because Alabama was rolling people that year, he would come in and play a lot of the second halves. In terms of just raw on-target accuracy, two receivers, he rated higher. So he's a much more accurate quarterback than I think people remember because most of what people saw of Jalen Hurts was when he was a freshman at Bama when he wasn't really a great thrower. And more people watch Alabama than OU. Uh, So we know he's accurate. Number two, we know that Deshaun Watson, who has really, really grown a lot since he was at Clemson. I think everybody would agree with that. He was a good quarterback prospect. I, ne- I didn't necessarily ever think that he would be like a top three quarterback in the league like he is right now, but he is because he's gotten better in almost every single appreciable way. Uh, Deshaun Watson's quarterback coach, Quincy Avery, is also Jalen Hurts' quarterback coach. That plays a big factor in me. Like it, there's two quarterback coaches out there right now that I put stock in, and it's um, Jordan Palmer and Quincy Avery. If you are a client of one of those two guys, which Deshaun's worked with both of them, ironically enough. I, I count that. Uh, and then number three, we also know that Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman are not going to get fired. They just won a Super Bowl three years ago. They beat the Patriots. They're not going to get fired. So they kind of have the job security to bench Carson Wentz. And it's not like he's some, uh, Wentz is not some unassailable figure in Eagles lore. Like, in their Super Bowl they won, he wasn't even the one who won it. It was Nick Foles. Yep. So it's not like Eagles fans are going to completely lose their mind if he gets benched. Hell, half of them are calling for him to get benched. They're not going to get fired. It's not some sort of crime against humanity to do it. You might as well do it and see what you have in Jalen Hurts. And guess what? If he pops off and you win the division, okay, that's great. At, le- at least you have some sort of direction for the franchise. I know people want a high pick, but... People bust on high picks all the time. To me, it's worth it to at least find out what you have in quarterback going into the draft. And if you lose 10 spots of draft position just to answer that question, it's worth it. I mean, the Saints are out here winning games with Taysom Hill. So yes. Like, yes. Let's, let's maybe pull back on the limitations and focus on some of the things that he brings, which is true. Accuracy, yeah. a hell of a lot more mobile. Well, and, and to a certain degree, and we talk about this with other teams too, are hope. You, Oh, I thought you were going to mention the ability to dress himself coherently without looking like he belongs in a uh, circus. Oh, you're talking about Wentz? Yeah. <laughs> well, he, you also are what, not so a big he, fan of his, like... So Carson so, Wentz is... 
I try to, I do a very good job, I think, you would agree with this, of putting away my opinions of the person when evaluating the player. See Wilson Russell. Tremendous NFL quarterback. And, and, and I, it appears to be team sex now, by the way. <laughs> he always has been. Never mind. I'm not going there. Um, and, and Carson Wentz may be even further on that, on that scale than me. I don't but, understand how you can wear a camouflage arm sleeve that makes you kind of look like a three percenter sometimes. But, but I think here's the interesting thing that, you know, Deshaun Watson is on the opposite end of that spectrum where he brings all of the intangible leadership calmness coolness that matters at that position because you are the leader of that team and i'm not sure jalen hurts has that to that degree but he cannot be it is physically impossible for jalen hurts to be as bad at that to be lamer than as carson yeah, wentz yeah. is so i mean I, I can tell you i've talked to quincy about it like on the phone and he said you, you don't you don't understand the kind of person this guy is like he is maniacal about how hard he works every single day in the off season. The first thing he did after breakfast was they brought in a chess grandmaster to go play chess with him for an hour. Really? To work on the brain, activate the brain, get it working every single day. He's like, you don't understand how hard this dude works. The queen. He's, the, he, the, he's an actual crazy person in, in the best possible way. The king's gambit. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Have you basically. watched? Have you watched the Queen's Gambit, Brett? I've heard it's great. I haven't. I haven't touched it. Oh, yet, you, you've got to watch it. Speaking speaking of great things, I've watched. You talked about the Seattle Seahawks on your on your uh, channel this week, mm -hmm. and I I was so I I'm a <laughs> segue king over big here. Big time. I'm a big time like watch every game. I love you know. Obviously, I'm a mathematician. I'm not as I the way that you broke down how. It's, it has nothing to do with what the Seahawks are bringing from a pastor's perspective. They're fine there. In fact, they've evolved to a certain degree there to a point where they're passable. And it's not necessarily about talent in the secondary. It's almost always about their scheme and their inability to sort of communicate. Do you think that that do you think that they're a slump buster for Wentz and Philly this weekend? Uh, you know, it's it's tough to say because the Eagles offense is also fairly simplistic and there's not a whole lot going on there. Oh, other way around. Slump buster for the e uh, for the Seahawks defense is Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like the stoppable force meets the movable object and I you know the Seahawks defense just went out against the number 1 offense in the league in Arizona and put on a, a decent performance there. A week after uh, being okay against the Los Angeles Rams for the mm -hmm. most part. They were okay. Like, if anything, I think the Seahawks are trend starting to trend in the right direction. Uh, and, like, when you look at uh, the Buffalo game, which is, like, the last, like, really bad performance they had, most of that – well, not most. A significant amount of it can be attributed to Quentin Dunbar playing on one leg. Like, a, a, a very significant portion of that. And then Jamal just freshly being back and making some coverage mistakes, like mental mistakes, not in terms of just getting beat. Um, so I kind of feel like the Seahawks are starting to – get it together a little bit again they're still not great but they're starting to get it together whereas i haven't seen any indication of progress with the eagles at all yeah do you think do you think that that's part i mean we talked about coverage versus pass rush the other you know last time you were on the show do you think that that is it is half the battle i mean we see it in kansas city where you're like they don't have great players. Everybody on the every corner is a fifth round pick or worse, or a you know a street free agent. 
and yet they play a relatively sound scheme and that gets you to like the middle of the pack in the NFL and then when you have a brilliant offense like almost all sins are forgiven I do you think that that really is not only a plausible path that the Seahawks will take but the path that they will take I mean the thing like when you look at like the Chiefs defense and the, and the Seahawks defense any of these like zone heavy systems like you can get away with not investing too much in terms of draft capital at corner as long as they do two things they communicate well and they tackle well because if you play a lot of zone coverage it's all about communication in terms of taking stuff away and then just forcing them to the third option so that the pass rush can go clean it up you know you got frank clark you got chris jones if you just play sound zone coverage and don't bust in the first two and a half seconds you're going to be okay because then you can force a throw away and then you just rally and tackle. If you make offenses rely on yards after catch and you're a good tackling team, you're going to win a lot of games. Look at Tennessee this past week. Baltimore could not tackle A.J. Brown. They could not tackle Derrick Henry. It's not like Tannehill was dealing, but they were getting a lot of yards after the catch. They were getting a lot of yards in open field because the corners couldn't get these guys on the ground. So whether whether it's the Chiefs, the Seahawks, like, just play sound zone coverage, communicate well, and make your tackles, and you're going to be fine. I always and feel I, it, like you bring a lot of wisdom, Brett. And what I took away from that statement was don't bust in the first two and a half seconds and you'll be a happy God, man. Stop talking about Russell Wilson. <laughs> R and C. I don't know if you know it's out there. And Brett, is that is that really the way? So we were talking about the Colts and the Packers on Sunday and I sort of talked about the Packers as being soft. You didn't sort of. You proclaimed it. You ran to the highest mountaintop here in, yeah. in Kentucky, the, Cincinnati, and yeah. shouted it. But the Colts are not a team that has brilliance personnel-wise in the back seven. They're, they're good, certainly. But do you think that they're playing plus defense because of exactly the things you just said, which is that they tackle and they, you know, they, they don't give up extraneous yards? Is that and they've really, had an easy schedule. And they've had an easy schedule, but but they've done this for three years under Ibaflus, have, have they not? Yeah, I Never I just to think this level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what I was gonna say is this is the NFL in twenty twenty. If your if your hope is to have a dominant defense and an average offense and win football games, then I have a place for you. It's Soldier Field in Chicago, and it's hell. <laughs> Welcome. My name is Satan. May I take your order? That is, that is that is what you're hoping for, right? If you're you only how how many teams have you seen in the NFL that have had a dominant defense and a dominant offense? Well, it's very rare. This year, very, this year there's none, right? But it's like very rare, right? So if you you're gonna pick one, the the only option is is offense, and because so many teams are investing in offense, because it's easier than ever to be a wide receiver and a quarterback, and I think we're seeing this year, like, coverage is so much harder because there are no fans in the stands, and, like, the, the, yeah. it's so easy to diagnose these things. If you're not trying to have an elite offense and just not a trash fire at, on defense, you're not doing it right. But doesn't defense just amount this year basically to praying that you have, like... Uh, oh, but like, God. <laughs> well... <laughs> The essentially every single drive which you're hoping for is to get a sack, a holding call, or some sort of mistake on an early down, and then to Brett's point, tackle on th like entice the other team to to try to get yards after the catch on you on third down, 
be a sound tackling team and force a punt. I mean, that's really because you're not going to. I have a really hard time seeing defenses just like Minnesota and Jacksonville in 2017 or New England the past few years or even Chicago in 2018. Like that to me, like is a pipe dream, especially considering how many resources you need to lay into that defense. And as you said, the offense and, you know, falls by the wayside as a result don't you think offenses are getting better i know uh, brett what do you think about that because i i was thinking about this with quarterbacks and thinking about deshaun watson russell wilson and rogers playing really well you have a lot of guys in the like five to ten range who any given day josh allen jared goff can light you up like to me it just seems like it's a fool's errand now to try and stop some of these guys i think it's it's less about trying to stop and more so just get extra possessions, get a turnover. You look at some of the best defenses in the league, or rather one of some of the best teams in the league, and it's takeaways per game. They're all playing zone coverage. They'll mix in some man every now and then. Miami's probably the one exception that's like predominantly in man, but like in terms of takeaways per game, it's Pittsburgh. A lot of zone. Tampa Bay, a uh, lot of zone, a lot of pressure, but mostly zone on the back end. Indianapolis, zone. Miami, again, kind of the exception with a lot of man coverage. Cleveland. Zone, Buffalo, zone, New Orleans, zone. It, it like LA is kind of like a, a mix and match, but like it's a lot of zone defense because it's like we're just we're gonna rally, tackle, punch the ball out. If you throw us one, we'll catch it. Just generate extra possessions. Because again, like you said, it's an offensive football game. Whoever has the most possessions, whoever runs the most plays, typically is gonna win the game. That's what it's about. You're not gonna stop anybody anymore. Like the whole, you know, Chicago Bears in 2018 with Vic Fangio completely dump, like dominating everybody. It's that's not going to happen. Just turn the ball over, give your offense as many chances as they can get, and you're going to be fine. Yeah, I guess that the one, the one team that had like even a stretch of being semi-dominant like that was maybe the Dolphins, who like yeah. won what three straight games because of defense. And what Brian Flores, I mean, that may be, what he's done there is very interesting, right? Because they invested a ton in coverage, both in the draft and in free agency. They play more cover zero than anyone else, and they're actually getting results on it. You know, some teams you see running a lot, like Greg with two Gs and just get fucking, you know, pounded. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to have the DBs to do it. And That's the thing. Yeah, have you watched a lot of the Dolphins this year? Yeah, and, and like you said, it's a lot of zero. It's a lot of pressure. And what I've noticed, again, with those dominant, that kind of stretch of dominant defensive games, one of which was against the Rams, they're bringing zero. The offensive line is supposed to block it inside to out. Emmanuel Ogba seems to come free at least four times a game just on zero because, again, that's how the offensive line is supposed to block it. And the quarterback, like Goff did it, Kyler did it, like at back-to-back -back weeks, they just – didn't account for the free rusher, which is the quarterback's responsibility in zero, and they both uh, had fumble return TV, TDs against them on that coverage. So, I, again, Miami's a little bit of an exception to the rule in terms of, like, man versus zone enforcing turnovers simply because they bring pressure, and pressure can sometimes be the great equalizer. But um, I am curious to see if it carries over both later in the season and next year because New England did that a lot last year. And it worked. And now this year, you know, you go from the number one DVOA offense or DVOA defense to the number 32 DVOA defense in a span of one year with largely the same secondary. I think I think it's just because when it comes to New England, people kind of have the book on them of like, hey, it's a lot of man coverage, a lot of zero. Let's game plan for that. They got nothing else. 
And Miami, like, they're going to have to have a change up to that or the same thing's going to happen. Well, they're not playing from ahead nearly as much either, which I think really helps defenses produce turnovers yeah. and stuff when you... I mean, and they, they could use your athleticism at pass rush. You know, I mean, they lost... Yeah. Like, the Patriots didn't have knee, a... Pre- my knee bend is pretty good at Yeah, this it is. The, the Patriots <laughs> didn't have a whole ton of talent up there to begin with. I mean, Kyle Van Noy is, you know, not exactly uh, Miles Garrett out there. But, you know, that, and now they've lost those guys. So they, they have really struggled there. Um, and look what happened against Houston. You get... You get what is it, 12 pressures the entire game and Deshaun carved him up what's your um is Deshaun Watson the most improved quarterback in the NFL this year uh you know it's tough to say because if we're going back to like what did a quarterback look like in 2019 versus what a quarterback looks like in 2020 how could you not say Justin Herbert sure I mean my god like Deshaun, like from rookie Deshaun that I watched uh, live in the preseason back in 2017 to now, yeah, he's probably the most like improved over like a four year period. But in terms of just a, you know, what was I thinking about these guys in November of 2019? Justin Herbert is the most shocking year over year improvement I I may have ever seen. It's insane. What's the bit? If you had to pinpoint like the one thing that you go. This was something I circled in red. I was like, this ain't, this is going to be a problem. And now it's not. What is it? With Herbert specifically, ball placement. Um, you know, he he threw more screens. He, like, he threw screens 25% of the time at Oregon last year, which was 8% more than the most any NFL quarterback had ever thrown, which was 18%. He had like 600 yards in the on NFL passes. quarterback. He had 600 yards on passes in between the hash marks behind the line of scrimmage last year. Yes, it was in, insane how many screens they threw. It was a very lateral offense. A lot of their deep shots, it was off like pump and goes where you fake a stock block and then release down the field. I was like, there's no way this is going to work in the NFL. It's fraudulent production. And then he goes to the NFL and he's you know throwing 75-yard touchdowns against zero with a guy in his face on four verts. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. What? Where did this come from? Like, why were they not doing this at Oregon? And I'm, I'm starting to think it was not a problem with Oregon's coaching staff trusting Herbert, which I thought they didn't trust him, which is why they did that stuff last year. Now I'm just thinking it was just a bad coaching staff, and they actually had a stud the whole time and never showed anybody. It, it was insane. Wow. Yeah, I, I still have, I guess with Herbert, some of the things that he's doing – are in situations that we just know to be so hard to replicate. You know, he's playing so under pressure, their third down numbers are so ridiculous. And I, it, the funny thing is I also think that he's got a suboptimal coaching situation in Los Angeles. That's yeah, weird. You know, like, and, and yet is, is performing really well. So I'll be very interested to see, you know, from year one to year two or even down the stretch here, like how some of those things, you know, perform. Because he, he should, that Chargers team has all the pieces you know but there's a few things that still aren't clicking yet which you can correct me if i'm wrong and this is the one thing that kind of gives me i don't want to say hope but encouragement that herbert can keep this up uh you remember 2017 rookie deshaun like his first seven games he's on pace for like 40 touchdowns for the year he's insane unbelievable but he also led the league in terms of like turnover worthy plays per game like he was taking chances everybody's like there's no way this is sustainable and he doesn't take as many chances as he did when he was in that kind of six or seven game stretch, but he's still an aggressive quarterback. But I think it's more controlled aggression now than it used to be. 
And I kind of feel like Herbert might eventually get there too. Where like he's shown, hey, I can get away with these throws. Maybe I won't try them as much, but I can still do them. If he follows that kind of Deshaun Watson, like throwing caution to the wind and then dialing it in little by little over the next uh, few seasons, I think he could be really special. Yeah, I think... Herbert's been very encouraging, very good, frankly. I mean, relative to anybody. The the only places I'll pause on him is that, you know, to your point, he hasn't had that many negatively graded throws. I mean, it's only 13% of his dropbacks, which is really good. It's a very good number. It's basically what Patrick Mahomes was last year. Only 2% of his dropbacks are turnover worthy. Those are great numbers. The, the one that I get a little worried about is... His positively graded play rate is not that high, but the percentage of positively graded throws that are big time throws is like 25%, which is immense. So that would be the one place where I'm like, I push back a little. And then, and then, second, bang for his buck, though. Secondarily, he's averaging more yards per pass attempt when under pressure than when clean. Like that is, that would, when you look at his statistics from Oregon, really? Yeah, he averages 7.8 yards per pass attempt under pressure. His passer rating is 100.2. Um, he actually has twice as many interceptions with no pressure than he does with pressure. It's, um, it's How is that possible? Variants. <laughs> well, I, I think some of it's variants. The fact that he does. So, Brett, I remember you remember Sam Bradford in 2016, right? With the Vikings. It was sort of this uh-huh. really weird year. That was such a weird year. And Bradford had like a 100 passer rating when under He was like second in the league under pressure. And our colleague Steve, which I thought was a really good point, was... Bradford doesn't really know any better. So if he's facing pressure, <laughs> he's got such a good arm, right, that he could sort of step in. And I guess we do disagree on his arm, but let's let's yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, just suspend disbelief for a second. He had, you know, he'll just throw the ball to the spot, not even knowing that pre- he can't even like handle the pressure. And because the really interesting thing is, when Herbert was under pressure at Oregon, his PFF grade was like forty all four years, and then he comes to sorry, he comes to. Um, uh, to Los Angeles, and it's basically the almost the exact same grade and almost the exact same output when under pressure. Maybe, maybe Brett, it's the Southern California air. I I don't know. I mean, I I thought the hair might have been the secret, and he shaved it off and still played pretty well. Did you guys see that throw to Keenan? This it was week, unbelievable. I I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh. Yeah. I, there, there. Oh my god. It was um, dare I say, you know, Mahomesian Watson esque. Yes. Did you see Marcus May immediately like give a high five to Lamar Jackson? Like, bruh, he did what you could. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> well, and what's and I don't know if the Chargers really had a choice, but making Keenan Allen happy at the beginning of the year is a huge deal. Like, I think yes. one of the things that we found out with young quarterbacks, you know, we talk about the Jets here with Darnold, and but you know, we've seen it with Josh Allen too. Like, Look, it's some of these quarterbacks aren't going to be perfect, and who gives a fuck? Just just sign receivers and surround him with brilliance, and you know make the question a an absence of evidence question as opposed to uh, you know as opposed to anything. Like just make yourself ask the question when the contract situation is up: Is he Jared Goff or not? Because that's a lot better than saying is he Sam Darnold or not. Right, you have no idea. You have, at I've, least... I've seen some talk, speaking of Keenan and everything like that, and Mike Williams, I've seen some talk with uh, analytics Twitter saying that wide receiver and not offensive tackle is the second most important offensive position. Do you guys agree with that? That's what we think. I mean, the hard part is I think it's a non-stationary, non-stationary answer because 
I would, I, I think probably 10 years ago, the answer is different. Um, but nowadays teams throw so quickly that oftentimes quarterbacks, especially ones that are in complete command of the offense, protect their offensive line more than the other way around. And receivers, especially now that offenses play so many of them, the bust rate is lower because you don't have to be everything to everybody. Like there's probably what, 10 receivers in the NFL that can do everything. And the rest of them are like puzzle pieces. Like you look at the bills and like Diggs does everything. Cole Beasley does the things that John Brown might not be able to do. Yeah. And, and like that offense fits and it's and, perfect. And here's what I would say to, to that. Cause I, I agree. And, and that's what PFF war would say. And I know that there are people that will argue for offense tackle or defensive line. Um, and here's, here's how I would break it down. Those 10, wide receivers that you mentioned, those elite wide receivers, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, you can go down the list, Julio Jones. Them playing at an elite level, you notice it. It makes a massive difference. An offensive tackle who comes out and is David Bakhtiari or Ronnie Stanley, them being totally elite is still, to, it still only helps your offense if the wide receivers are getting separation quickly in the route and the quarterback is putting it on them. So I think there's a bigger payoff for elite play from wide receivers than there are from offensive tackles where you really just need to make sure they're not a total t catastrophe. Um, that, that's, where I, that's where I land on it. What, what is your take on the whole debate? You know, at first it kind of sounded outrageous to me, but then I thought, wait a minute, I've been talking all this time about how coverage is more important than pass rush and how winning those isolation matchups outside is more important than winning in the trenches for a defense. Why can't it be true the other way around? You know, if you're winning the isolation matchups outside for an offense, like you said, if you're winning in the first two and a half seconds, you're theoretically okay. It's when you have to hold it for three seconds when you really start to see an impact uh, in the trenches and obviously like run blocking makes a makes a big difference too but if we're all kind of following the train of you know running on early downs is a bad idea EPA wise then guess what it's still going to be on the onus of the wide receivers to to dominate on first and second down too so I, I I was resistant to it at first because as somebody who's watched football for so long now you're, you get it drilled into your head you win in the trenches you win in the trenches but if we're going to talk about winning isolation matchups outside being more important for defense, we should probably hold that true for offense as well. You brought up something, a great point that I just thought of for a second, which is the longer you watch something, the more tethered you are to your impressions of when you first started watching it. So if you were to drop down from Mars and start watching football right now, you know, what would you think is the second most important position if you watched for a whole season? And to me, that is what math kind of allows you to do because the, a mathematical model is not watching with any sort of emotional tie to anything. And um, I, I don't know, I, I think if you, if you were to wa watch football for the first time starting today, you would have a very hard time not thinking that the wide receiver is the second most valuable position. I mean, to tie it all back into what we were talking about with Carson Wentz, what's their issue right now? Mm -hmm. Stuff isn't getting open against two man. So of course he's going to get sacked. Nobody's open. Where would you put, this is a debate we were having. Okay, so if we're sort of in alignment on those first two, 
where do you put head coach slash offensive guru? Where do they way high up on the list? Way high. Okay, like so they, they've they've got to be top five, and they're not five. So okay, so you got quarterback one. Does a coach yeah. make it past wide receiver in terms of importance? Uh, probably not because again, you still need guys to win. But after that, because again, a coach can do things to help out protect, protection. He can lean into the quick game. Um, he can dial up, you know, rolling pockets or. You know, if we're going like with uh, with Minnesota or Cleveland, it's like, hey, we're or Tennessee. It's like, hey, we're going to do a lot of bootlegs where the quarterback is rolling out away from from the defensive line. And if uh, if the defensive end chases, then he, he'll have, you know, the sift block that releases to the flat. He'll have that uh, if he doesn't chase, then he'll have all day to throw the deep cross. Like you can do things as a coach to help out an offensive line. Um, but somebody's got to go win against Jalen Ramsey. Somebody's got to go win against any other elite corner out there, you know, Darius Williams, whoever. Like, when you're going up against the Rams defense, one of the best in the league, they got two elite corners in Ramsey and Darius Williams out there. If you can't beat those guys, you're not going to win. And and the Rams, aren't the Rams the perfect example? So the Rams have a fantastic defense because Jalen Ramsey is a unicorn and Darius Williams is playing really, really good football. Their coverage is sound. But then on the other side, they're the perfect example of why an offensive coach is so important. And to Sean Mm -hmm. McVay's credit, I I was going to ask you what your biggest surprise was this season. Mine is the adjustment that Sean McVay has made. I was very critical of him last year. I said he did not develop a secondary pitch. He did not have an answer to what was going on. And he's working with a quarterback that's probably 15 to 30 in terms of where they belong in in their ability to handle NFL football and has made adjustments. That game without Whitworth against the Bucs, he was absolutely brilliant attacking weaknesses and adjusting. They, I mean, their time to throw was like 2.2. Their base matchup was not good against Tampa. No. And they he just was went away from it, which absolutely was brilliant. I, where, wh- what are your thoughts on McVay? And maybe the bigger question here is like, okay, rank, give me your top, top three to five uh, coaches right now that you, would, that you would pay big money. So McVay has done an excellent job of integrating things that have beaten him. Uh, when I look, I did an episode on it earlier this year, actually, on Sean McVay kind of taking a page out of the Ravens playbook and integrating a lot of motion at the snap because they beat the tar out of him with it back in 2019 with motion at the snap. They did it like on 50% of their plays. And so McVay now, at least I haven't checked on it in about six weeks or so, but at least in the first five or six weeks of the season, they were number two or number three every single week in motion at the snap because it does things to screw up run fits. Um, it does things to screw up coverages. It causes mental mistakes, like not just motion before the snap, but motion at the snap is so, so important. And McVay learned from that experience against Baltimore and tweaked his already perfect offense for it and just integrated it more. Uh, in terms of great offensive minds that I would pay a lot of money for. Uh, obviously, McVay is one of them, but if we're doing like a few more, uh, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, uh, man, who else? Yeah, but I, I want you to I want you to order them for me. I want you to go one through Order them. them. Yeah, I want you Sean to go Sean Payton, one number one. Okay. Uh, probably McVay, number two. Ooh. Just when you consider that they're winning with Taysom Hill and Jared Goff. Like, 
I love Andy Reid, but also he has Pat Mahomes, so I got to deduct a few points for that one. Fair. Um, System coach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I also really like what Brian Dable's done, actually, in Buffalo. Uh, a few a few weeks ago, again, he's not going to attack the sixth best run defense in the league in Seattle at the time uh, that's just getting Jamal Adams back. Like He's not going to attack them with the run game, even though he ran 70% of the time the week before. He's going to throw it and throw it and throw it and throw it and throw it. Uh, I really like what Dable's done. I think he's going to get some head coaching opportunities, uh, and, and as well he should. So you're down on Shanahan a bit this year? Oh, God, I totally forgot about Kyle. Oh, man. Can I do 3A, 3B? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll do 3A, 3B, Shanahan A, and then Dable B. Dable B, okay. I, I like that. I mean, that I would never, if you had said, what are the chances that um, someone you respect as much as Brett Coleman comes on and puts McVeigh ahead of Shanahan in week 12, year of our Lord, 2020, uh, I would have fallen over in disbelief. But here we are. Shanahan's still done a great job this year. It's just he hasn't had He's much. done a great job. But, man, the Niners have been dealt such a shit hand this year. Oh, so many injuries. It's absolutely brutal. Okay, let's. Um, this has been a ton of fun. Let's do a couple of quick hitters and, uh, and get you out of here. Uh, this is one of my favorites because it angers people so much. Who's the most overrated team in the NFL right now? Oh, that's good oh man who who are the good teams right now because there's there is a right answer there's a right answer well in my opinion i don't are you thinking miami i do so i do think they were overrated probably this past week brought the um the people who wanted some clicks who put them in the top five back down to earth i might say God, man, that's so. I don't know if I would say Tennessee, but their third down defense is so bad. They are a bad. They are a. They're a team that if the three of us coached them on early downs and on offense, <laughs> would be in the top three in the NFL. If we had Arthur Smith's playbook and the ability to call the plays ourselves from his playbook, yeah. What was there but, was a league that like tried to make that popular, right? Where you like could yeah. vote on your phone which plays to call. Because I think they call good plays. They call. They have good plays to call. Then they run on early downs, mm-hmm. and then to Brett's point, their defense is an atrocity. So then. Like that puts them like I think in the top ten, but not in the top five. Um, who? Uh, okay, so here's mine. I mean, you could say Cleveland or Indy just because the quarterback situation, but that's you know that's the easy ones. Okay, are you ready? I I, I think I'm going to scare some people here, but I'm going to make the claim. I want you to respond to this. The most overrated team in the NFL right now are the Pittsburgh Steelers. What? Yeah. All right, there's got to be some math that you're so with. here's my here's my reasoning. The first is overrated implies that people are overrating them, and many people I have seen, I'm not going to name names, have put the Pittsburgh Steelers at number one overall in the NFL, which is absolutely absurd and preposterous. The Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, and I think there's a gap between them and anyone else. But Ben Roethlisberger, Except maybe New Orleans. I think New Orleans with Breeze is okay. fairly. We'll yeah. agree to disagree, but. The, the quarterback is my reasoning there, too. And as I have a t- tremendous amount of respect for Big Ben. He's come back from an injury. But he is not of the teams that you might say are top 10. And I think the Steelers have a chance to win the Super Bowl. I do believe that. But of all those teams, Big Ben is 
the worst quarterback of that group. And so to me, they're overrated because people assume that their defense can continue to be super elite and that I think people view Big Ben as being like maybe a top five quarterback this year when in reality, I think he's probably 15 to 25. You got my most overrated team in the league this year? Go for it. The... (laughs) Making this up on the fly. No, I'm not. The Philadelphia Eagles. Stop. I think they're really bad. <laughs> because Stop. four wins is overrating them. Yeah. Like, dude, like, people, look, okay. The five uh, worst teams in the NFL are the Jets and the NFC East. Let's do, let, well, let's do, let's go to our friends, the, the DraftKings Sportsbook, and see the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles are favored to win the NFC East, despite the fact that their schedule is an absolute buzzsaw sure. over the next four weeks. I have no idea why pe- te- people are are gravitating towards a team whose quarterback is worse than Daniel Jones. Like they have the worst quarterback in I that agree. division. I agree. Maybe maybe Jalen Hurts comes in. Maybe that's why people have some inside. Yeah. Well. Oh, okay. Let's let's flip flip the script. It. Let's be positive. Brett, your most underrated team or player. I'll let you pivot to player if you want. I want to tell you guys about MonkeyKnifeFight.com. Our good friends MonkeyKnifeFight.com are continuing to deliver. If you go to monkeyknifefight.com and deposit $20 while using the promo code PFF, you receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's $40 value for $20. And the best part is then you get $20 to spend at monkeyknifefight.com playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. It's monkeyknifefight.com. Go to monkeyknifefight and deposit $20. Promo code PFF. Receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. By the way, they also have a really cool design. Maybe go buy some merch. Look like Sean Watson. I don't know. Do it. Tis the season for giving and to celebrate the start of the most joyous time of the year. DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all players the opportunity to cash in on a pretty no-brainer Thanksgiving opportunity. There was a game tomorrow night, Baltimore-Pittsburgh. That game has moved to Sunday. And if you opt in using promo code PFF, you're going to get the opportunity to double your money if either of those two teams scores a touchdown in Thursday night's, now Sunday night's, uh, or Sunday midday's game. It's very, very simple. Go to DraftKings, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. It's an awesome app. They also give you a first-time uh, $1,000 deposit bonus, and they have a bunch of good odds boosts, so you want to go check it out. It's safe, it's reliable, it's secure, it makes it easy to deposit and equally easy to withdraw, which is obviously a nice thing when you are betting at a sports book. So go download the app, use promo code PFF, and enjoy the Pittsburgh Baltimore game. Hopefully it happens. Um, if not, I'm sure they'll pivot the bonus to something else. Reminder that uh, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Bonus comprised of a first-time deposit. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I am uh, tremendously thankful for all of you guys coming and listening to our podcast. And if you want more stuff from PFF, now is the time to go get it because there is a little Cyber 40 promo code that will get you 40% off any PFF sub. That means you can either get PFF Edge, which gives you all the fantasy stuff and all the content. You get PFF Elite, which gives you the props tool, all the betting dashboards. Um, or you, if you already have one of those, you can add one of the college football um subscriptions which obviously becomes more pertinent with uh, the college football playoff playoff showing up 
So you want to check those out, all those 40% off on pff.com. And if you just want a little free content, got that too. Uh, hopefully you enjoy our podcast. Uh, there's also the Chris Collinsworth podcast with Richard Sherman. They had a cool episode this week where they talked about some non-football stuff. And Richard Sherman uh, has some really cool stuff to, to say. He had a tremendous uh, couple of stories about um, you know his growing up in Compton and um, his whole uh, journey. So you should go check that out. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, Side the 40. Okay. It's all about the journey. Well, I already talked about Darius Williams, so I guess I can't say him. Uh, underrated team. How could you not love the Raiders, man? I mean, the, the offense is so fun to watch. The defense isn't great, but, you know, even with like an offensive line that's been racked with injuries and COVID and stuff like that, they've still been able to run the ball. They've still had good protection. Uh, obviously, Carr's playing at a level I don't know if I've ever seen him play at this like before. Uh, they do enough on defense, I think, like when they beat uh, KC earlier this year. Again, how many teams do you know that could actually split with Kansas City? Not a whole lot. And they're 6-4, and four, and all of their losses have been close. Uh, they barely lost against the Chiefs, which if Jonathan Abram didn't make a really boneheaded play on cover four and abdicate his responsibility when Mahomes rolled out of the pocket. Who knows? Kansas City might not have won that game either. Like they 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 had a legitimate shot to go two and oh against the best team in the league. Uh, and they're only six and four. I think people are not rating them properly as a playoff not just contender, but like favorite. Like to actually make the postseason. And I a legit tough out in, in the playoffs. Yeah, they, and and yeah. it was a great point. And I think you could make the case that Derek Carr similarly it is underrated as well. I mean, you know, those two games against Kansas City were, were really good. but We have Derek Carr right now as well. the fifth most valuable quarterback in football in the betting market behind Mahomes, Wilson, Rodgers, Watson. Is there a quarterback playing better than Carr that's not in the, that list? No. Steve Mahomes, Rodgers. Wilson, Rodgers, Watson. No, there's not. It's like some people would say Kirk, some would say Tannehill, and it's close. But and they're high. Yeah. yeah. I, it's... <laughs> My thing with that offense... And, that's crazy. I mean, that, saying that Derek Carr is the fifth well, best quarterback in the NFL... Let's close it on say. this, because this is going to wrap all the way around to somebody who I... I like, you watch, you watch be film better and more than I do. I said earlier this week that I think Henry Ruggs, despite the fact that he hasn't been productive on the stat sheet... Doesn't have one catch against press coverage yet. Has... Change that offense for the better. What do you think, Brett? Is that is that me just being galaxy brain, or is that is that a real thing? Uh, I mean, people see what that Raiders offense is capable of when they go vertical, whether it's with Rugs or with Aguilar. It changes how you play them. Like four two speed is four two speed. Everybody has the scouting report on him. Everybody knows what he's capable of. So of course it's going to change. My it's going to back corners off. And if a corner is backed off, guess what? You might have a little bit of a softer edge against the run when they're running all that crack toss stuff. Uh, it's going to make safeties cheat, which opens up stuff maybe on the backside for Darren Waller or Aguilar or Edwards or whoever. If you can just put a little bit of fear based on the threat of speed, it fundamentally changes the defense. And like we said, it comes down to coverage more than pass rush. If you can scare a defense into thinking that they can't cover you, 
they're going to do everything they can to stop you, which means everybody else is going to get isolations. And uh, I think they have enough weapons outside of rugs that they can win those other isolations and be productive. Yeah, I mean, Nelson Aguilar looks like he, you know, drank, he went on a juice cleanse all summer. And but the one year that Nelson over. Aguilar was good for the Eagles, they they invested heavily in the wide receiver position around True. him with Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey. And yeah. like that, like there were... There are, are some similarities there too in the sense that some of these guys are are more open because of the investments yeah. around them. No, I think it's a legit one. Okay, I, I, I do have one really quick football question left. You have to choose. You can either have the Kansas City Chiefs with Deshaun Watson or the Houston Texans with Patrick Mahomes for the next three years. They stay exactly the same. You're not allowed to make any roster moves and your goal is to win a Super Bowl. Which one do you choose? Wow. Oh, man. I think this is my best question yet. I've been working on this and workshopping this one. For you a found while. the secondary team, I think, that really makes the question hard. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So between Mahomes on the Texans and Deshaun on the Chiefs, which one wins the Super Bowl if everything stays the same? Deshaun on the Chiefs. It's a better I, I, roster. And he's not that far off, Pat. Like Pat's the best, but Deshaun's not that far off. It's the right answer, in my opinion. I'm an, and I'm the biggest Mahomes You're the stand biggest that there Mahomes is. Stand that there is. I, I think it is. I, I think it's possible for both quarterbacks to be fantastic, and that it's okay to say. That how much better? How much better than Alex Smith is Deshaun Watson? Stop. But I mean, Alex Smith won the passing right, title. Right, I know, but he's dramatically, year. dramatically, yeah. dramatically better. He won the passing title in Kansas City before Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill's prime. Yeah. yeah. Right? No, With right. Reed. And now you put Watson in that offense, they're probably the best offense in the league. I think Mahomes overcomes a shit ton in, in Houston, but not enough to yeah. for it to make it worth it. Well look at look at it this way. There's there's a few things that Pat can do as a passer in terms of like outside of the structure of the offense that Deshaun doesn't do as well like Deshaun still does him well but not like as well as Pat because nobody does but in terms of just like in the structure of the offense there's nothing that Pat does within the structure that Deshaun also can't do but the thing is Deshaun brings a little bit more mobility and slipperiness in terms of getting out of sacks that even surpasses Pat for as mobile as Pat is for as slippery as Pat is Deshaun's still more of like Gumby than he is so I think you trade out some of the crazy crossbody throws for a few more missed sacks and a few more rushes for first downs. Uh, I mean, God, the uh, <laughs> the option game with Deshaun and Clyde Edwards-Alaire would be, would be pretty insane. I, I think you you can very easily argue that the Chiefs are the best team in the league, regardless of whether they have Mahomes or Deshaun, and it's not really close. Yeah, that is a fun fun question. Okay, uh, it is Thanksgiving tomorrow. Brad, I'm thankful for your content. I just wanted to let you know that. You're one of my favorite people <laughs> on, on Twitter, on YouTube. If, if you don't subscribe to Brett's content, I'm sure everyone listening does, but just go do it. It's, it's a blast. But the content that I'm most thankful for isn't the football content. It's your love of food and particularly drink that uh, we need to bless this podcast with. So I'm going to need, so I need to overcome the fact that I don't have Raven Steelers tomorrow night. Um, what's, what's the drink that you're cooking up? Maybe give us a couple that you like, um, help us here. Well, 
there's a place, you know, Orange, California, right? I think you're a Bay Area kid, but I think you're familiar with Orange, just outside of Anaheim, California. George, this, the of course, there. is also why people on the, in hey, the comments yes. don't like you. Yes, right, by the way. Hey, one in every eight Americans is California. Just That's saying. true. No, just look, saying. I'm pro-California. Anytime anybody <laughs> wants to not count your votes, I tell everybody from Alabama that you guys pay their subsidies. Don't get, like, I'm, I'm pro-California. <laughs> Uh, but there's a place in Orange called the Haven Gastro Pub. The food's not anything special, but they do have a drink there called the Haven Hottie Toddy. And it's the best hottie toddy I've ever had in my life, so much so that I asked the bartender how they make it. Uh, and basically what you do is you take spiced apple cider, you put that into a simmer on the stove, you put anywhere between an ounce to two ounces of Rittenhouse rye in a glass, uh, depending on how boozy you want it. You put a tablespoon of honey, and then once you get that spiced apple cider nice and simmering, you pour that in, stir it all up till the honey dissolves and you get the booze nice and integrated. Take a cinnamon stick, throw that in there. It's the perfect kind of holiday drink. It's boozy, it's sweet, it's spicy, it's everything that you think that, uh, you know, kind of being around a campfire for the holidays should be phenomenal drink. Boom, I'm making one. I also, the hot toddy is one of the best names. Drink names are so crucial to the drink in my opinion and, oh it's uh, s tier <laughs> okay you don't you disagree no i don't i don't have an opinion okay. i'm just interested in yours well be i have to so i was i took it you know that jordan meme where it's like and i took it personally <laughs> I yeah i took the fact that you got more hate on the youtube comments personally and so I'm doing everything I can to make sure that people come away with a very clear understanding that I am the asshole on this podcast <laughs> that you are going to hate on. And so, yes, I will say that drink names matter and hot toddies go in. Um, Brett, we really appreciate it. We hope you have a absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving. We thank you for coming on. Be well, buddy. Keep up the good work. Thanks, boys. This is a fun episode. I feel good going into Thanksgiving. I think... Um, there's a lot to be thankful for getting an opportunity to do this podcast with you amidst all that's going on. It's something I'm thankful for. So I just want to say thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> I was trying to get you to be sentimental. It didn't work. Oh, well. Oh, well. Maybe it's because you're worried about your bangles. Maybe that's the reason. I think so. I think I'm I'm very worried about my Bengals, yes, but think, it'll be okay. I think you should be. Being down six steak dinners, to me, would be concerning. Very concerning. All right, that was our podcast. We will be back on Sunday night. We hope you enjoyed Brett. We certainly enjoyed it. A special thanks to Brett Coleman for hanging out with us for an entire hour. Tyler and Zach Tantillo are guys behind the glass for killing it each and every week. We're thankful that you guys listen to our podcast. Love you all. Be well.